Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax with their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs. You can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello, welcome to the New European Podcast. My name's Richard Porritt and I'm joined again, fresh from his holiday, by Steve Anglesey. Steve, how are you? I am well. Hello, snowflakes. I am returned, refreshed. And how was your... Coiled spring. Yeah. <laughs> you're how, was my, how was my break? It was I th- great. I, I went you're... outside. Did you? I, I, just to point to it there, I think you're more like a slinky, really. <laughs> kind of pointless, but fun to push Slowly. down the steps. <laughs> Slowly dropping down the stairs, yeah, <laughs> to my inevitable, uh, yeah, collapse. I went, out, I went downstairs. I went, uh, I went outside. I, I went in the other room. It was, it was action packed. Um, but I do feel very refreshed and revived. The other um, room. It sounds like a, it sounds like a horror film. Don't yeah, go the other in room. the other room. This fall, don't uh, go in the other room. And it's been, uh, it's been exciting. Um, hasn't it? It's been a, it's been an exciting week. Yeah, I mean, um, exciting is one word for it. I think um, I'd just like to thank again Ben Crask and, and Jerry Helliwell. Very good, <laughs> Jerry, Jerry Scott. Nice who to hear Jerry in. Helliwell back. Yeah. It was. It, she was great, wasn't she? She seems to be doing well for herself. So, well, I'm sure we'll hear from her again soon. Um, and young Ben was very good too. Young Ben was very good too. Uh, so, um, welcome, one and all, as always. Uh, this is the New European Podcast, and as you know, if you're a regular listener, and if you aren't, then why not start now? Um, this is the place where a lot of people come come to for their news fix. This is their news, their weekly news. They get it just from me and Steve. Um, and as I, as I have been warning those people, however, during this um, time of crisis, is perhaps just check in now and then with some other news sources. The New European website is a very good source of, uh, of news. Also, the daily briefings, not daily anymore, of course, because they've cut the weekends out, um, but uh, certainly during the week, because we don't want you stuck inside waiting for us to tell you when you can get out uh, and get down the pub, which may be sooner than we thought, of course, but we'll get to that. So we will do the news, um, and there is Brexit news this week, which has been... Uh, Quieter and a little bit in the background because of everything else that's going on, but we'll we'll do a deep dive into that one awful phrase, uh, and then we will tackle everything else as well as carefully as we can, um, and mm. and then we will of course crown a Brexiteer of the week. Is there a quiz this week, Steve? There is a quiz this Excellent. week. It's statue related. Oh, okay, fantastic. Well, it's statue related. What is your before we? I mean, we will talk about statues and toppling of statues. Yeah. Later in the in the program, but what is your favourite non-political 
oh. non-controversial statue uh, well, the f- in, in the world. <laughs> well, I'll d- okay, so my um, the, f- the best statue ever, ever, without a shadow of a doubt, was the statue outside Craven Cottage of Michael Jackson. Um, yeah. Which was uh, which was put up by um, Al Fayed, wasn't it? When he was the owner, it was, uh, and then subsequently and very quickly removed when uh, Mr. Khan uh, bought Fulham, uh, which is probably about ten years ago now. That is a brilliant statue and probably needs. I don't know. I think it went to Harrods for a bit, didn't it? <laughs> it did. Yeah, it did. I don't know where it is now. Statue. Um, I guess that one would have been getting pulled down, wouldn't it? And probably quite rightly. Um, and. Um, so, yes, that is that is good, but I, non-political. Oh, that's quite well. Tr- I, I know. I know. Since you're from Huddersfield, you're going to say the statue of Harold Wilson. Well, I want to talk. I want to talk about that later because I'm 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 quite vexed about some things regarding that particular statue. So I'll talk about that a little bit later on. Um, but other statues. There's a very good. There's a very good statue of um, of uh, Eric Morecambe. I think it's oh, in which yes. I have. There is. That's a brilliant it, statue. I've been. Is it in, in Morecambe? Oh, I thought it was in Morecambe. It might be in. It, well, maybe there's one in Morecambe. I've, I've certainly seen a statue of Eric Morecambe in uh, in the, the south as well. I can't I've remember going it. to. I can't. I was in Torquay. What about? It's about three years ago now. If, I don't know if you remember, Steve, when you and. The, uh, yeah. the editor of the New European sent me to Torquay for the um, UKIP, the UKIP conference. The UKIP carnival. With, with, with the, uh, and afterwards, because it was all over really quickly in the end, because we it was when Anne-Marie Waters was potentially oh, going to yeah. become leader. And, um, and it was all over pretty quickly, and it was like a firework that didn't really go off. Uh, but I'd booked into a hotel. The whole of Fleet Street left. Um, and I, cause I was going straight on to Manchester afterwards to, um, I don't know, Labour or Tory conference, can't remember which. So I stayed in Torquay and my direct um, order from, from yourself and Mr Kelly was, go and find Manuel, um, <laughs> which I tried very hard to do. I think the thinking was, can we find someone from the EU who works in Torquay and get their view on UKIP and all that kind of thing. And I did actually talk, to, right. I did actually talk to some people who worked in hotels in Torquay who were EU workers um, but I d- the story d- wasn't quite as good as it could have been so I, I'll belatedly apologise for that but it wasn't due to like a try <laughs> but I don't well, ever see Eric Morecambe it's not harmed your career I'm pretty sure there's an Eric Morecambe somewhere on the south coast readers will tell us They will. there's a they really will. good statue of uh, Billy Fury the sort of the 50s uh, British rock and roll singer in, in which is on in the um, uh, it's in it's in the uh, pier head in Liverpool, I think, or on the do- or, or on the docks in in, um, in Liverpool. There's certainly. lots of good public it's art better, in Liverpool, actually. Lots of good public it's art. Much in Liverpool. better than the statues of the Beatles that are in. I was uh, just about to ask you about those. I mean, stat- getting a likeness right on a statue is very tricky. Um, it is tricky, and I wouldn't count like the Angel of the North. That's not a statue; that's a piece of art, isn't it? So you can't include stuff like that. But there, there is also some really nice. Um, and it is public art, really. Newcastle and Liverpool are two cities that have got lots of great public art uh, statues. I'm not sure if they're statues. There is a statue of Queen Victoria in the in the centre of Newcastle. I trained in Newcastle and lived up there for a little while, and um, it was always good on a Monday morning because she would always have a cone on her head, um, always. <laughs> And she's got this scowl on her face, you know, as if she's thinking, Friday night and I'll have another blinking cone on my head. Um, so I don't know. I'm not sure what my favourite my favorite non-political statue is. 
I mean, is, is Eros a, good... a statue or is that art? It's difficult. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've seen a good... Um, there's, a, there's a, a little... In Shibuya in, in Tokyo, there's a little statue of Godzilla. Um, oh, yes, that I like that. That you can sort of stand next to and, and be menaced by. <laughs> i tell you what's a, really a good statue. Good... Go on. In Boston, there's a really good statue of um, Edgar Allan Poe, oh, okay. who is sort of wandering. Uh, he's got a he's got a briefcase which is coming open, and and, new, and papers are coming out, and oh, there's like sort that. of a raven on his shoulder. Yeah, that's good. a really great statue. I th- I, and then there's if every, if any if anyone listening has has read a, uh, the, the the really great book, A Confederacy of Dunces. Uh, that's my favourite statue. That's on Canal Street in New Orleans, and it's a statue of Ignatius Riley, who is the the the, the, the hero, the rotund hot dog vending hero of, of a Confederacy of Dunces. Which, if you've never read it, it's a great book. I do um, like I do but, like yeah. a good statue. Obviously, we'll come to the uh, the, the um, not so good statues. yeah, not so good statues. But one one of my favourite statues, and I do I before lockdown, I used to walk past it um, once a week at least. Um, is of uh, Sir Bobby Robson outside Ipswich Town's ground in Portland. It's very Road. nice that statue. I yeah. always and give they're putting Sir Bobby... a one of Kevin Beatty now. Yeah, that's right. I always give, and there's one of Alf Ramsey just around the corner. I always give Sir Bobby a little little pat on the shoe and say how you're doing, Sir Bobby. When I walk past, that's so, good, it's isn't a good it? Statue, it's a good statue. Anyway, imagine we'll get... the bronze involved if they put up a statue of Alan Brazil outside <laughs> Ipswich Town's ground. That would be incredible. A lot, they, they like statues in Ipswich, don't they? Well, they it, do well, very much. Football so. clubs have got statues. Uh, there's a, oh, that one of um, uh, Stanley Matthews is very good. Well, Manchester City had a lot of statues in their defence in the period uh, before, <laughs> we, uh, before we became wealthy. But there's, uh, how many? Yeah. Is, there's a couple outside. I think there's um, some at Busby outside Old Trafford, isn't there? And there's a, I think is there a Ferguson one now outside Old Trafford? I don't know. There's there's a there's a good um, there's a good uh, George Best. Yeah, there's Dennis the Holy Trinity, and, and isn't there? Bobby yeah. Charlton one, isn't there? That's outside ni- outside is, United, of that's course. That's a nice statue. That one of Ronaldo of the other Dennis, year was funny, wasn't it? <laughs> it was funny. Statue of Dennis Law, who, who obviously relegated Manchester United in 1974. So that's got yeah, my but approval. He, he wasn't, one out of three ain't bad. He definitely wasn't happy about that. He definitely was no, not happy he was about unha- that. He was unhappy anyway, about YouTube, it. YouTube, yeah. that goal, if you haven't seen it, listener, is, uh, it's an extraordinary moment in the history of Mancunian football. Anyway, let's get on it to. Let's Shall get we talk onto, about um, the old EU? Let's get on to the EU, why not? Well, let's start with the EU because, I mean, I, 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 well, let's keep people up to date because I think other things have been uh, have been sort of headlining the news, haven't they? But, yeah, what would have been headline news has been, you know, has been has been relegated back, and understandably, yeah. I think it's fair enough. But uh, but it, but yeah, so let give give us a quick give us a quick run through, Steve. Well, this this period of talks between the June period of talks between the EU and and Britain have ended. They don't sound like they have ended particularly well. Um, uh, Britain asked to go into the tunnel. Do you remember the tunnel from the last EU, the, the last sort of the withdrawal agreement deal? Yeah. That is basically when. Uh, Barnier and whoever he's negotiating with and his team and, and our team go into a, well, it is, it is essentially a locked room. There's not much need for, so so power is given to Barnier to negotiate. There's not much uh, need for him to go back and report to the uh, the sort of the, the heads of the other EU uh, countries. And it's everything is conducted in secret. There are no briefings, there are no press conferences. And the idea is that, 
this happens when you're very close to a deal. Britain has said, let's go into the tunnel. That's been roundly rejected by Barnier and um, uh, and uh, he, he, I mean, he's now come out fighting, it would uh, assume. So he said no to going into the tunnel. He has uh, accused us of trying to cherry pick, of going back on commitments in the withdrawal agreement to have a look at the customs arrangements in Northern Ireland. He has said uh, controversially that London, that that once this is concluded, London should no longer be regarded as a a European centre for financial and legal services. Uh, We should talk about that um, in in a minute and whether he can do that. Um, he has explicitly said the EU want an extension, mm. uh, and, uh, and and uh, while he's been saying all this, uh, the European Parliament are coming close to voting on uh, a resolution saying they will veto. They and they've got the right to veto anything that, that Michel Barnier and, and the UK come back with, and they will veto any deal which doesn't see the UK. Um, agreeing to what they say, what they call robust safeguards of fair competition uh, and strong standards. So that is, you know, accepting the EU's view of things like environmental controls, workers' rights, but also saying what you can't do to Britain is you cannot now leave, uh, go into a a, a competition, uh, a free market with us, and then start, pumping huge state subsidies into all your industries, uh, trying to attract industries from out of Europe into the UK um, and trying to um, and trying to artificially lower the price of goods created in the UK, uh, which can then be sold in, in Europe in preference to, to, to goods originated in the EU. So, I mean, it's tough. Is it is it posturing or is it tough talk or, 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 or what what's your take on this well I'm very hopeful that it's that it's posturing um, f- for the sake of the country that me and my family and my loved ones live in really um, but you know obviously we've been very critical on the uh, of the the way that the government has handled this there's a few points that that sort of stick out to I'm not massively shocked by this I think it probably makes sense for Europe to toughen their stance especially in the face of you know Pig-headedness, probably, and what would what some would refer to as a tough stance from from um, from Britain's negotiators. Across, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, the, the point there you talk about Britain being unable to be in competition with the EU it, it, is a is a really tricky one, frankly, because we let's make it very clear, and I think probably you know by now, listener, don't like the fact that we're leaving the EU. We were very staunchly uh, in the Remain camp, and we 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 literally. Um, you know, uh, sweat, blood, and tears. Tried to try to get that decision reversed, and we'll continue to. And of course, uh, you guys are on board with that as well. So it's unlikely you'd be listening, but I can't really see how the EU can uh, c- can tell Britain, "I'm sorry." In and the EU is very much a you know. A, 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 a capitalist organisation in the west, in the in the in the sort of Western capitalist way, um, that we can't be in competition with them. I'm not saying that it's a good thing that we are. I think definitely that we should be yes. very much aligned to them. But it's not going to win them any friends that because the people who are staunchly Brexit want us to be in competition with them, and. Frankly, that was kind of the point of Brexit. Kind of the point, it? yeah. So that I, I'm not quite sure where the 
argue where that, that line of argument is going. Um, if and I'll, I think it might even hand to the British government and to British negotiators exactly what they want because they'll say, well. No, nah, we we want no deal, you know, as as much as no deal as you can get, obviously, because there's been agreements signed already. You, you know, that's what the government have been saying this week, haven't they? But, um, but they want to compete, and and yeah. and also, I, you know, I am, um, I, I I can see the value of a restrained free market, and I think saying to a country that you cannot compete with other countries is very dangerous, and there is historical precedent for how that goes, and. Well, yeah, not don't tend to be very good. Um, so I would. I mean, to be fair, they're not as... saying we. They're not saying we won't allow it, are they? They're, they're, they're saying the the cost of a tariff-free trade deal with us is yeah, is, yeah, 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 yeah. Is you you is so so it, it but, follows that if you don't want to do this, then that's fine. But what we're going to end up with is you know we're going to end up with, with tariffs that. on all of your goods coming yeah, into. Yeah. Into, but this uh, kind you know, of, but the what I'd hoped for from the EU, um, and you're right to pick me up on that point. It's not, you know, obviously you can't stop a country doing something if they're not aligned to the to the rules. So when we're out, we're out to certain respects. But what I was hoping for from the EU was that they would be the adult in this room, um, and I, I, mm. I and I feel maybe they're being dragged down a little bit to our government's level. And that's, that is disappointing for me. Maybe they have to. I, I'm not in that room. I don't know. But for me, I don't think the EU has come out of this looking particularly good. I think, I think we're starting to get into a, um, a, a, it's like a, it's like a brawl around the back of a pub on a, you know, on a, on a, on a, 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 a sunny Saturday afternoon where everyone's had too much to drink. It, you know, it, 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 it's fair. It's not very edifying. It's not nice to watch. And I think, I think we I think we need a very big injection, certainly on our part, of grown up, and I think sadly I think we're starting to get there with the EU as well. I've got sympathy for them because I think they've been pushed into it, but it doesn't mm. fill me with much hope really, and I don't think the um, the rhetoric is particularly useful from from either. It hasn't been from our side for a long time, but I don't think this is particularly useful from the EU side ever uh, either. And, no. and this this element as well. I mean, this is bad news for us. I, I completely understand what the EU is saying about how um, uh, you know checks of uh, checks on on UK goods to make sure they're fit for the EU market. Um, I mean, that is bureaucracy that that will end up costing us money, and it's a massive, it's a big problem for them, obviously. But it's not going to be good for us because they're going to. They're going to think. Well, is there a, is there a better way that we can get these products? Is there somewhere else that they can produce? Yeah. Is there, um, and you know, the, it, the bottom line of all this is exactly where we were the day after Brexit. The very best thing for both the EU and the UK is that they work closely together. They're two really big markets. Um, if we have to have some kind of separation, which obviously you know, we absolutely are opposed to. But if we have to, then we should, we should, you know, we should try and remain as closely together as possible. Everyone, you know, from business and sensible politicians, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, agrees with that. The only people that are arguing for a complete break tend to be Wallies, uh, nationalists, and populists, and th- th- those are not the kind of people that I want involved in these negotiations. I mean, sadly, we have those people on our part. I hoped that the EU 
um, would would perhaps do a better job than they have in the last week, in my opinion. And I've, you know, I have, been, I am critical of the EU. I always have been. I think it needs huge reform. Um, but I did think that their uh, their stance on this has always been a bit more pragmatic than than Great Britain's. Mm. Well, it's, uh, it certainly doesn't seem that pragmatic now. And the, and the scary thing is, I mean, as you say, um, uh, well, let's, let's take the first one first. The, the, the idea that, so Barney says, well, London must lose its status as a European centre well, I mean, for financial is, and legal services. That's kind, of now, the, that's kind of the, maybe more of the point that I was making previously. That, that, isn't gonna, that is not in his gift. That's not in his it, hands, and it's not it's in not. the hands of the UK either. But because well, it's in the hands, it's in the hands of the banks. But I, absolutely, I, I guess, and I guess I'll tell you what: in the, in the, at the end of the day, money talks a damn sight louder than Boris Johnson or Michel Barnier. So the banks will make a decision on this, and it, it does. It, what, but what, it raises the prospect, doesn't it, of 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 the EU countries saying, well. You know, if you are, if you decide to domicile in, uh, you know, your head office is in London, then these are the negative effects for you. It, it raises the, it, it raises the prospect of some kind of, you know, never mind the cod war. It is a, a it raises the prospect of a banking war between um, between London and the other UK capitals. My, my um, view on my view on that is that that is not that is not a fight that the EU want to get into because I would back London all every day of the week. I really would, and it, it's all you know. We it's all well and good saying um, we've you know ba- banks are moving their headquarters, and moving their things. Banks are absolutely uh, signed up to to globalization, and if they are forced out of a certain region, then they will then they will retreat and make some make money some other way. And there is always a loophole, and they will not take kindly to the EU saying that and 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 potentially punishing them for it. I think it's a really no. dangerous and silly move on the EU's part. No, but they, you know, but they may end up going where, you know, well, they will always end up going where it's cheapest and, and most cost-effective they for will. them, won't they? Yeah, in, abso- in the absolutely, end. of course. Um, they will go where it's better and, for and them. It, so and, are we going to have a risk? Are we having a race to the bottom on this? Because, again... Really, I, if that we're having a race to, to the, being threatened. if we're having a race to the bottom on this, and where are the regulations most lax? Where you know where mm. is it cheapest for us to do it? London will win because we've got a conservative government in, um, and the the EU d- uh, it, it just simply because of the way it's structured, and this is a bad thing and a good thing, isn't as nimble because there's lots yeah. of members. So London will win. Yeah, yeah. I don't think yeah, the EU want to fight that. I really don't think the EU want to fight that, and I think they will. They they know that, and they will concede in the end. That's a threat that I wouldn't be worried about in the slightest. If I was one of the I can see that. I can see that happening, and of course, this is, you know a worrying thing for British business is is this that you talked about a second ago, is the idea that at the moment, you know, twenty percent of all of these products um, that are that um, are sold in EU markets are checked in the UK. That's, you know, that that's a, a tremendous amount of stuff to lose yeah. in any case yeah. um, for, for our sort of services and, and, and legal industry. But it's also, it also means that British manufacturers who want to export to the UK, you know, will now have to send their goods to the EU, have them rubber stamped, sent back to the UK 
presumably, and then sent again. Uh, I mean, there, must, the there must be a way. I, I, that's how it sounds at the moment. I'm surely, there must be a way. There must be a, a, a way yeah. around that. That sounds ridiculous. But but the, this well, is it a much. It's this sort of thing that is a much bigger threat to the EU economy than the financial sector or the service sector, in my opinion. It is. Yeah. It is. This is the sort of thing that should send a chill right through business. Um, and I don't know if you caught up with. Um, I don't know if you caught up with the, 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 what Michael Gove was saying in the Commons uh, on Thursday, but he, he said that there won't be a no-deal Brexit because we've already got a deal. Yeah, and, they, and, and I, I mean, said, I can see... Oh, people said, what are you on about? And he said, well, we, we've signed a deal already. Yeah. But I'm... previously, you know, at the weekend, we, we read that in the, the Sunday Express that Boris Johnson wanted to fix the, the deal that we already signed, and he, he said he, the prime minister's spokesman said it was a defective deal, and he said we'll have to do our best to fix it, but we're starting with a clear disadvantage. I just I can't remember who it was, what idiot signed this defective <laughs> disadvantage disadvantageous deal in the first place. But, um, I'd like to think amazing, that he, his, his mind had been, um, you know, he'd, he'd been distracted by the coming pandemic and was making sure that we were absolutely ready for it but that can't be the case can it because uh, <laughs> as we've seen no. um <clears throat> i think i mean th- this is a point of semantics and i think michael point as a michael point michael gove michael point, point as a gove michael point as a gove michael gove's point um it's, it's a silly point it's isn't a silly it? point there is a, sh- a shred of sense in there that we moved beyond that first stage but but like you rightly say, you know that was basically just a hurdle to get us onto the next round of the yes. you know it, it, on, it's not what people period. it's not what people understand by deal or no deal is it to no, be honest with no, you absolutely but, but, not no but there you go um, I mean let's talk about Boris now shall we um, it's yes. been twelve weeks now since he said he was it's twelve weeks since he said he was very confident that we would send coronavirus packing. Uh, within twelve weeks, yeah. So, so it's job done then. Mission accomplished. Well, you know, confidence uh, <laughs> before a fall. Um, confidence is a preference. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 just sort of. I mean, it's it's an unfortunate anniversary for him, but you know, talk, you talk about support bubbles, but his bubble is is, is completely burst, doesn't it? And that is not just you know. Pinko snowflakes like you and me talking. That is, um, I mean, let's let's go through a couple of the quotes here. Uh, Andrew Neil, who obviously is no uh, no snowflake, uh, he wrote, "There is mounting unease, even anger among Tory back backbenchers and grassroots at what they perceive is uh, indecisive and even incompetent leadership." from Boris Johnson. One minister's told Laura Coonsberg the government is in a rough patch. Everyone's a bit angry because uh, they've been locked up for too long. I guess he means the voters there. And a former cabinet minister has also told Laura Coonsberg that number 10, uh, their approach is lurch and retreat. Downing Street has got no strategic sense of where they are going. And it just seems like, you know, we spoke about Boris Johnson a couple of weeks ago being locked in this sort of John Major spiral. And now it does seem like he is locked in John Major's cycle of, I'm taking control of this, we're having a relaunch of this, um, 
And all the while, he is facing a very, very, very adept leader of the opposition. Yeah. How long before Boris says back to basics, do you think? Well, I, I mean, <laughs> I was going to say a couple of weeks ago that, that, I mean, he, do you remember briefly there was a weekend when it was going to, there was going to be a war on obesity? Yeah. And that was presented as the big idea. And, you know, a war in obesity, on obesity is, is a, a good idea. Um, yeah. but it well, did I have, mean, it, war. It I'm not, sort of I don't like the word of, war. <laughs> well, I know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, and as a larger man, I don't really like the word obesity, <laughs> but it did have echoes of the Cones hotline, didn't it? You know, the uh, uh, his plan was that we were going to give away free bicycles to the overweight and stuff like this. Well, this he's, he's obsessed. Well, since, about, he, since his recovery began, he's become obsessed with being overweight, and he, he's supposedly wandering around Westminster patting his belly and saying to anyone who listened, don't be a fatty in your 50s. Um, I, I, I mean, that's all laudable. He needs to come to, he needs um, to, come to Norwich and have a word with me. Um, all, all, you know, I'm all, for, um, I'm all for public health campaigns, but I, I just wonder if that is the answer to, uh, to, to all, all the problems we're facing right now. That's a sort of longer-term thing, uh, Mr Johnson, I would suggest. Um, but he's been playing tennis, hasn't he? He's been playing tennis he's- at the uh, American Embassy. He's been playing tennis at, at, at Wingate the, House, the, 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 yeah, the, the, the ambassador's Woody Johnson's <laughs> yeah. residency. He can have a jog round the Buckingham Palace grounds, yeah. can't he? Yeah. He seems to, he seems to his his, his support bubble is is quite. He's, um, picked, he's, sort he's of, picked the right people, hasn't he? And he'll get a free. Well, he, I imagine he gets free uh, NFL game pass because of his friendship with Woody. He will well, get yeah, that, yeah. yeah. But he has, he'll have to watch the New York Jets every week with Woody <laughs> Johnson, which is which, as I, I know, is this is that's why I'm overweight and miserable. What, watching um, the New York Jets, I think. Well, the, the the Sam Darnold's workout this week looked pretty hot to me. I think you're going to be all right. Anyway, that's for another it, it podcast. Good. That's for another podcast. That is for another podcast. Um, I mean, it's, it, I'm, I'm looking at the odds as I normally do. It, it's He's, he's only four to one to go this year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you look at what the bookies think, they sort of think that, you know, in he, he, well, it, he, you'll get much, much, uh, it's much, much longer that he will stay to the next election mm. than he will go my uh, view before on, it. My view on, on, on Boris Johnson's longevity as Prime Minister is that I don't really think... I don't think when when he became prime minister, he I think he wanted to be prime minister desperately, and then yeah. now he is. I don't necessarily think he he thinks, and I want to do it for ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen years, like you know, like Blair and and Thatcher uh, did, sort of long stretch like that. I almost think what he's thinking is, oh, my place in history will be much like his great hero Churchill, of course, get the country through this moment of great crisis. Whip up a statue, and I'll I'll go off and you know play tennis and do whatever Boris yeah. Johnson does. I'm not entirely sure. I, I I think there's a fairly good bet he's not going to go this year, but I think there's a fairly good bet that he will he will decide that he's you know he's had enough by the by the time we before we get to a ne- the next election. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. the Tory party quietly in his ear might decide that they've had enough. And we've mentioned before on this show why the Conservatives are the you know for well. 
you know, whatever you might think of the Conservative Party are are the, the sort of natural ruthless, party of they? power in this country, and that is because they're ruthless when their leaders don't, even if their leaders are, are you know, much beloved by by the party itself. I mean, Thatcher's a great example. If they're not electable, they ain't leading them. Um, and, you know, we've, we've, we'll see that time and again. So... Yeah, I think I think going into the next election with Boris is looking less and less likely. And sorry, I know I keep calling him Boris. Um, it's just my bad and my apologies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just shorthand, isn't it? I mean, the, the you know the, the the bookies have got twenty twenty two or or later at three to one odd. That's on. That's the that's the the, the narrowest thing. Um, yeah. I just think you know a lot of the fun will have gone out of this for him now. I mean, he's clearly yeah. going to stick around to, um, air quotes, get Brexit done, end air quotes, close air quotes. Um, but, you know, the idea that we'll be, we'll be spaffing, you know, hundreds of billions of pounds on bridges to France and all of this kind <laughs> of thing. Ladder to Mars. Yeah, bridge, a bridge to Mars. You know, all of those great, grand <laughs> infrastructure things that he wanted to do, I think he, he now knows that he won't be able to do. Anyway, I, we'll the, see. The thing um, is, the, just the as odd. a final point, he'd got what he'd got in his head was, I'm going to be the Prime Minister that delivers Brexit. <clears throat> yeah. And then a chap ate a bat or whatever happened, and that, you know, is gone. And now he's had to refocus it, and it's got to be... I'm the Prime Minister who gets the country through this incredible crisis of coronavirus. And mm. he, he wasn't prepared for that, and neither was the country, were they, frankly? No. Would the... I mean, would the... We'll go through the odds very quickly, but would the following people be... Would they be better or worse than Boris Johnson? Well, right right and now. How would they right be now. different? Would they well, be better so really, or worse right now? So, yeah, better or worse right now. <clears throat> okay. So Rishi Sunak is the leader at four to one. Right, is Gove my... is ten oh, sorry, to one, on. yeah. and Rab is fourteen to one, and then we go to Hunt and Hancock at twenty to one. Hunt and Hancock, that sounds like a great like comedy double act, doesn't it? Hunt and Hancock, Hunt and Hancock yeah, <laughs> musical. Oh yeah, I'd fit to see them. Um, right. I mean, Pretty Patel is in there at thirty-three to one, but I don't think we need to discuss whether she would be better or worse than Boris Johnson. No, I don't think I'm we not do. Sure there's, no. Okay. So, okay. So let let me go. I'll go I'm going to go through. Going to go through the list. I'm going to go from from uh, from bottom to top. So, Hunt and Hancock. I think Jeremy Hunt is a is actually a better politician. And I'm just talking about being a politician rather than his um, policies or whatever. I think he's a, a cannier and a better politician than a lot of people give him credit for. Anyone who can hang around in a health job for that long is obviously not daft. So I, I think Hunt would probably be more of a statesman. Um, so yes, I think Hunt would be better right now. I wouldn't, you know, Hancock has got no chance at all. I wouldn't trust him to, you know, get me a pick and mix. Um, Dominic Raab, I've got a lot of trouble with this chap. I have to say, and uh, between him and Boris Johnson, I don't think there's much there. I think it's a cigarette paper between them two. I think they're both useless. Michael Gove, I think Michael Gove again a bit more statesmanly, but would he do a better job? Probably not. Rishi Sunak. I know there's a lot of love out there for Rishi Sunak, and I certainly have, have praised the some of the financial packages and some of the financial intervention, which was, you know, probably more than a Labour government even would have dared to do. Um, so we have to be grateful for that. However, I think we're probably being a bit naive in thinking that this is all Rishi's genius. You know, this time last year, he'd certainly never been mentioned on this podcast. Um 
and was barely known. He's come in at the right time. He looks great. He's he, t- he you know he's he's good in the commons. He speaks well. He's good in front of camera. He's a fresh young face. Um, but I think it's far too early in his career to uh, you know in high office to be uh, able to analyse whether he'd be a better prime minister. I think he might offer up a bit more confidence from the country than Boris Johnson right now. But I wouldn't I wouldn't like to say that he'd be any better. I think he's having a good war, and that that's kind of it for now. Of course, the person who would be better. Is Sakia Kastama? Well, he's actually eleven to eight, so he is the favourite. Um, but of course, he is going to have to wait till twenty twenty four for his chance, isn't he? Unless, you know, unless of course, um, as as I saw a, a respected political uh, columnist say the other day, you know, he 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 was making a very strong case, and uh, who knows what this is based on? He was saying. Boris Johnson is going to have to, in October, when this thing with the EU gets very close, he is going to have to announce that he is taking control um, and that we are going to have to um, sign an extension with the EU and he's going to have to sell that to the Conservative Party, <laughs> in which case there could be another election this year. Who knows? No, I think imagine that's, that. I, I, well, no, I really do not want to imagine that. I think that's highly unlikely and I think I think, yeah, that- I think it's madness yeah, I think it's, it won't happen no and I think that, that I actually don't think it's going to be a difficult sell for for for, Bor- for Boris Johnson to get an extension I know we've there's been lots of we will not have an extension but I think all he actually has to say is everything was thrown into chaos because of the coronavirus and quite rightly a lot of our efforts went into went into that and um that you know I think that is that is the most likely thing to happen um yeah frankly yeah. um we mentioned Michael Gove there. Michael Gove's wife has has been involved in the sort of the other big controversies of the week. You know, the last thing that that you, dear listener, need is a discussion on institutional racism, which is led by two middle class white men. Absolutely. Um, but you know, I do think we should talk about uh, some of the, the the sort of byproducts of this appalling. Um, death in, in the USA and the wave of protest that it's unleashed. And um, uh, Sarah Vine, um, uh, who is the Daily Mail columnist, she's the wife of Michael Gove, uh, has been involved in a couple of things this week. She has, uh, one of them, which we'll come back to in a minute, is, is she has said that, you know, she considers a lot of these protests, especially the protests in the UK, to be um, virtue signalling. Um, and that there's no point in in, um, in virtue signalling um, when you're not directly involved. Virtue signalling is pointless, she, uh, she said. Um, and then she's but she's then gone on to write um, a very controversial mail column, as her pieces usually are, about the pulling down of the Colston statue in Bristol, which she, you know, equated um, to. Um, well, let's. Let's, let's look at the actual quote here because I, I, I do want to be fair to Sarah Vine, uh, as tempting as it's not. She said, um, for what it's worth, I think Britain is a better place without the Edward Colston statue. I disagree with the method of removing it because it represents a mindset I find deeply sinister. Uh, I No doubt, for example, the fervent ISIS jihad who torched the library at Mosul or flattened the Temple of Baal in Palmyra felt they were pursuing righteous justice in eliminating the evidence of, of past regimes that they despised. 
Um, so, so she's equating uh, what she calls a mob in Bristol um, with the uh, ISIS people who uh, flatten the Temple of Baal and, and the library at uh, burn the library at Mosul. Um, I mean, what, what do you? I mean, that just seems risible to me, doesn't it? Um, but um, well, it's what a, do you, I mean, what do you, what I mean, do you make of this idea that um, you know that, that we shouldn't be involved? And that statues of bad people should continue to stand up um, uh, and just be there because we shouldn't really, you know, we, we shouldn't mess with history. This is a deeply complex issue, and um, I, you know, clearly, um, the statue in Bristol of Edward Coulston should have come down years ago. Um, there, I don't think. I, I don't. Th- I think it would be difficult to argue, and other people have, but, but any right-minded person would find it very difficult to argue that you know why should, why should anyone have to explain why there is a statue of that man and what he did, what he was involved in to their kids, black, white, Asian, anyone, you know. It, it, I mean, but especially for, for 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 black people in Bristol, of which there is a. Um, you know, a, a, a sizable population down there. Every time you walk past it, it must have sent a chill down your spine. I mean, the fact that it was still up, frankly, is is outrageous. And I, I mean, I've only been, I've, I've even been to, I think I've been to Bristol once. So I don't know the city, and I don't, I know it's it's got there's some great it's culture right. has come out really of there, good. and people love it. I know lots of people from Bristol, um, but but I was a little bit shocked that that statue was still there in a in what is in, in my understanding quite a progressive city. Um, because I doubt it. Well, there's would been still a long be battle and... to remove. Oh it, yes, I'm aware. There? I'm this, aware this, of that. This is, yeah, this is the sort of the the point of, of of this has been. You know, people are saying, well, you know, Sarah Vine says she disagrees with the method of removing it. Well, people have been talking. I think it's for the last twelve or fifteen years that there's been an official has, uh, campaign yeah. to try and get rid of this, and then it was, you know, we want to take it down, and then it was. Uh, well, what we'll do is we'll keep it up, but we will put a, a context plaque yeah, I mean, uh, near it, um, I, I, and then there was disagreement about what the context plaque should say. I, I don't like. I, I, listen, I don't like seeing. Um, you know, I don't want to call them a mob because that's not fair. I don't think, but I don't like seeing a gathering or a group of people having to take having to take direct action. It's not a nice thing to watch. Um, I I don't I'm not in any means um, saying that they shouldn't have done it. I can absolutely understand why, and I can understand in this particularly heated atmosphere why it happened last weekend. Um, you know, I'm not calling for anyone to be done for criminal damage or anything like that. It it just would have been it would have been a far better outcome if. You know, years ago, when people started making some very good points about why is this statue here, it was taken down and it was put somewhere else. And I, I think that it should be. I think these statues. I don't think these statues should be smashed to pieces um, because. And I'm going to get onto Orwell in a minute, but you know, there isn't. There is a, a kind of scary. 1984 with rewriting history and I don't think we should do that and actually brushing things under the carpet is the easy route smashing up our past and pretending it didn't happen is the easy route the difficult route is 
putting it in a museum, teaching children, and this is the most pertinent point about this, teaching children about, I wasn't taught about our, about empire, our colonial past. In fact, it's only yeah. in the last, it's only really in the last, it's about a year ago when that fantastic book about the uh, East India Company came out, which name escapes me now when I read it. I was shocked by it. I didn't know, I knew of it, but I didn't know some of the incredible things and dreadful things that were going on. You know, we, are not, we weren't, there was a generation that weren't taught about this. We can't let that happen again. You know, our children today need to know about the dreadful things that Britain um, and and more widely the West did uh, with regards to slavery and uh, you know our colonial past and all all kinds of other things. Um, you know, we need to and and it is it, but we have to teach it. Just brushing it under the carpet, or indeed throwing it in the in the sea or a river. Um, it, it, is a is it is a powerful statement, and I understand why. But I'm glad they've taken it out, and I'm glad it's going to go somewhere else, and I'm glad it's going to be seen in context, um, because that's the way that we learn, and that's the way that we make sure things don't happen again. If you ignore things, history repeats itself, and we never ever want that to happen again. Um, and it's about teaching children about it. You know, it, 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 by the time people get to university, it's often too late. You, 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 they shouldn't be taught this stuff in primary school. You know, we would yeah. talk very heavily about how glorious our, our we were in the first and second world war. You know, I was brought, I was, I was taught very. So I, I was at school in the eighties and nineties, and um, it was very much Britain, as far as I was aware, until I got to about fourteen and started looking a bit further. Britain had never done anything wrong. Um, you know, and that's a, that is a scary. Um, uh, Piece of mindset for 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 certain children who, who you know perhaps have been reinforced at home or whatever. We've very much got to tell people the truth. You know there shouldn't be spin on education. It should be the truth. Um, mm. And I think that. Absolutely. So I think that I think that um, I think that the pulling statues down for people because our views have changed is is absolutely fine. I, I you know well. Perhaps not pulling them down, but removing them. I think that the I think that every statue um, that is up everywhere should be under constant review. You know, is this does this offend anyone? Does it now? I'm also very strongly of the opinion that everyone has the right to offend someone else, but it shouldn't be public statues that offend people. And if they yeah. if 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 I offend, I've got the right to you know go out on the street and and shout things at people that offends them. They've then got the right to call the police if they want, and if it's deemed yeah, exactly. that I'm being threatening and offensive, then I, so fine, you know. Um, yeah. Statues are a little but bit different, but, but offensive things shouldn't be part of the the general infrastructure, should they? No, absolutely um, not. And, and they shouldn't. You know, we point. wouldn't. I think we all. Here's a question that we should ask about statues. I think would we erect this statue now? Now the answer mm. for for Colston is no. In which case, let's remove it. Statues. You know, there's this belief that statues are put up and they stay there forever. That's not true. Statues come down and are removed and are put in places all the time. You know, all that, the time. that happens. It, it and that is true. what a progressive uh, society does. It, re- it looks back and it rethinks and it grows and it gets better. And that is, what we, you know, continual improvement is what, you know, as a society we should be looking to do. Now, having a statue totally. of, of Colston is, is harking back to a period that really we should be happy to engage with but not glorifying and putting someone on a actually putting someone on a pedestal is is you know is is wrong so the coulston statue should have come down long ago 
I do not agree, however, that we should be ripping down the statue of Winston Churchill. Um, or, or uh, you know, there's been there's been others, hasn't there, named? I mean, there's, there's talk of Nelson and things like that. Lord I mean, Nelson, yeah. I mean, there is the question of where do we stop? And this is where I want to bring something up that, is, that has hugely annoyed me this week. Um, and Gladstone, it, of course. Yeah, who's in, Gladstone. Um, is Gladstone in Parliament Square? I, I think he is, so, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, and, 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 I mean, there's got to be an argument for Cromwell. I mean, that statue's barely up and it's only been about 100 years I think the Cromwell statue that's um, right yeah and and there's a very good argument for <laughs> for not having well, a statue of Cromwell um, but outside Huddersfield is a glorious little town actually it's not that it's quite a big town and that's where I'm from I don't know if I've ever mentioned it and it's got an absolutely beautiful believe me square um, where the train station is uh, Steve you're aware of this you've you've travelled there before am, yeah. and the train station is beautiful more famous these days not for its architecture but for the cat that lives there but anyway outside the train station um, there used to be I'm pretty sure and this is before my time but I've seen pictures of it uh, a, a royal statue I think it was King it might have been King George or I'm not very good at the royals but some king and um, and I never saw that as a child it was, wasn't there and that square was empty and then in 1999, remember it very clearly, Tony Blair, um, then Prime Minister, of course, unveiled a statue for Harold Wilson, who was from Huddersfield, and, um, and of course, had, had two stints in number 10. And, um, and it is a fine statue. And uh, Mary, his wife, was involved in the, uh, in, in the, uh, you know the commissioning of it and who the artist was going to be and how it looked and she famously it's very really very nice it's yeah. a great statue he's got his hand he's walking and he's got his hand inside his pocket and she said she didn't want because he was a famous pipe smoker of course um, she said she didn't want him, his pipe to be out or it to be in his mouth because she felt that that had become a bit of a caricature um, so they put him sort of reaching into his jacket to get his pipe and I, I and i think she was right i think it's a much better statue for it um it's a lovely statue it's great uh twice a year when leeds united come to play uh or once a year sorry when leeds united come to play it gets put in a box <laughs> because um, yeah. because we're worried about the leeds fans um you know getting a bit over exuberant but this weekend uh coming um there is going to be a protest at the statue and there have been calls on twitter to pull it down and the reason, yes, I saw that too. and the reason that is given is that uh, there was military aid given uh, in the 1960s when when Harold Wilson was the prime minister uh, to uh, during the Nigerian civil war. Now millions of people died in the Nigerian civil war, um, and there were some awful scenes. And it's before my time, but awful scenes of you know children starving to death. And and the reason allegedly that these um, that this military aid was given was to continue so that we could continue to have a cheap supply of oil. Okay, now there's disputes about this. Uh, obviously, you know there there are there are questions there to be asked about what the involvement was there and what Harold Wilson's involvement was there. Um, but I think when people take to Twitter and say we should rip down Harold Wilson's statue because he's a racist. They should take quite a few things into account. Um, the sixty-four to seventy government, the, his second term was was pretty dire, really, and that was mainly because of the um, the, the, the state the country was in in the mid seventies. But sixty-four to seventy was a really progressive um, government that actually changed the shape of modern Britain for for good. And to, in my opinion, um, you know, uh, 
really there were certain elements there that that were that were left until Tony Blair came came in in '97 and, and took them on. And I've I've scribbled a few down here because this is how annoyed I was about this. Um, that 64 to 70 government uh, it got through the partial uh, decriminalisation of homosexuality. Now you could say, well, they should have completely decriminalised it, but you know that it. it these are baby steps, and this is people. This was a society learning as it went. Um, the abortion law was changed. Divorce laws were made fair, especially for women. There was a stop on the censorship of the theatre. There was um, yep. the the abolition of capital punishment. Right, these mm-hmm. are massively progressive things. Um, there was the uh, expansion of the comprehensive education, which has done so much for for so many people who either didn't go to grammar schools or, or you know, didn't have the inherited wealth that that made sure that they had a, a good education. And and one of the things that I've always been proud of to say I'm from Huddersfield, even though I never met Harold Wilson, um, is the creation of the Open University, which allowed lots of people who otherwise couldn't have got a degree to get one from the comforts of their own home long before the internet. You know, think of all the single parents or disadvantaged people who had to work, who've got degrees and built a better life for themselves and their families because of something Harold Wilson's government, first government, did. And mm. and I think this is probably the most important thing. In 1968, that Labour government got through the Race Relations Act, um, which made exactly. it illegal yeah. to refuse housing, employment, public services based on colour, race or ethnic background. And it prompted, directly prompted Powell's Rivers of Blood speech. So if yeah. you're one of the people, and I'm not going to name you, because uh, I have got the names of the people who've been saying this on Twitter, I'm not going to even give you the delight of doing it. But if you're one of the people who is saying, tear down the statue of Harold Wilson, take a long, hard look at yourself, do a bit of research and figure out if this man was actually a racist, like you claim, or if a government made a poor decision in hindsight. Let's please not just rip every statue down because it looks like a bit of fun to rip some statues down. What happened in Bristol was, should you know, should have happened years ago. No one is missing that statue. But generations will miss a statue of Harold Wilson because it has been deemed he is a racist. And I can absolutely assure you that Harold Wilson was not a racist. He was dedicated to making sure that the downtrodden and the lowly in our society were lifted up. And he did a great deal to help um, to help those people, in, in, in certainly in one period in government and partially in a second one as well. So, Absolutely. And, so what we've know, got I mean, to be careful of now is making sure that we don't just have actual mobs. And again, I'm not referring to what happened in Bristol. It's a very different case. But actual mobs just tearing down statues without thinking. Um, and this country right now, and you know, on the back of America, and as that government source was saying to Laura Koonsberg, the country's just a little bit pissed off. We've had mm. Brexit, which is either whatever side you're on, it's not been fun, has it? We've, it's paralysed. It's paralysed, hasn't it? You know, it was, <coughs> we've it, got, was, it was quite a bit of parlementary fun and games for us to talk about, but really, was it? It wasn't great for anyone. Th- co- I'm telling you now. I felt like last weekend, going into last weekend, felt like the weekend before the London riots kicked off in Tottenham, and mm, I, and I yeah. think that if if the if the weather hadn't have been poor last weekend, I really it think that it, it might have been a very different case in London and around the country, and yeah. that scares me 
because the last thing this country needs right now is is more division and so people just need to take a deep breath do their research you know if they, if these people want to actually campaign for Harold Wilson's statue to be removed then do it in the right way let's have a discussion about well, let's it have a, you know uh, let's have some kind of commission which looks at, at, at public um, absolutely at, at public uh, statues and and public art and and stuff and we and we can kind of decide um, what is going on but you know I think it it seems to me that you know, all historical figures are, are compromised by their time, and some of them are compromised by mistakes that they have made, um, uh, possibly as a result of their time, possibly as a result of them, you know, not being um, uh, whiter than white or squeaky clean or, or, or whatever you, you, you want to call it. But yeah, yeah. it does seem to me that there is a world of difference between, you know, people like Colston and Cecil Rhodes, who probably shouldn't have statues, uh, well, definitely shouldn't have statues displayed. You know, when when Nadim Zahawi, um, who's, a, I think he is a business minister there, isn't he? He is yeah. still a business minister, sort of said, you know, we sh- what we shouldn't have are any statues of slave dealers on display. Um, and he and Bonnie Greer have both said, you know, like the, like like we have in the Museum of, of Slavery in Liverpool, yeah. which is in the Albert Dock in Liverpool. Let's have let's take these statues down if we want to. Let's display them in museums and let's display them in context, yeah. um, like they're going to do with the Colston statue now yeah. in Bristol, where the, where the mayor has said we will put this on display. The Black Lives Matter placards will be around it. There yeah. will be context about this incredible event. Let's do that as well. And it's in a similar way, you know, and I think we've probably run out of time to talk about the the things like Little Britain and Bow Selector Mm, and mm. stuff like that, which are being taken off the air. Gone with the Wind has been taken off American uh, streaming temporarily. So, you know, I think that is absolutely fine. If it was, some, you know, something like that was flat out racist, like Mind Your Language or Love Thy Neighbor, TV shows that I grew up with, the black and white minstrel show I remember being on TV when I was a kid, those things shouldn't be shown, should never be shown on TV. They were flat out racist. Um, Things like Faulty Towers, which has got a racist character uh, in them, you know, Dad's Army, stuff like that. There are occasional... uh, racial references of their time in that and that is fine with you know i think that for me that is fine i'm interested to hear what what the listeners think by the way but for <laughs> you, me you might not that be. is fine <laughs> if there if there is some context applied that's you know, it i think and, you know i i you know i watched i watched little britain like many people did and and, and laughed and i never and this and you know i i never really spotted the racial undertones and that's on me that's on me yeah, and yeah, and, it, yeah. and it should be on matt lucas and and david williams i don't for a minute think either of those people are racists i just think that no, the fo- the thought process hadn't been there i also am not a racist by the way the thought process hadn't been there uh, now I, we've come I to a stage where it is completely unacceptable though isn't it and always, oh, well, and always have I, been I, I, absolutely absolutely I, you know you I, know I, and, and i mean 25 years you know david Badil is i think david Badil is is, is is great and he's right and he's funny he's great on twitter i've always liked david Badil. but when you saw him you know uh, uh, dressed up as jason lee the nottingham forest footballer with the with the, yeah, the hairstyle, yeah, yeah. and when was that in the sort of early nineties, mid nineties? Mid nineties, and you sort of, you know, you just—I mean, that was unacceptable even then. It, and it I, was, it you was. Know, Little I mean, Britain and, and Boat Selector—I've I, I, never really liked, and I've never really watched them. So, 
Um, anyway. Well, I mean, you know, the, again, it was there was. I just think it was. I mean, Bus Selector is a fairly deeply unfunny series from what I can remember. But the and and, I've, and I'm no fan of the chap. He's from around the corner from us. He's from Osset, I think, or Morley. He's from Morley. Um But he, he, I mean, I still find that all a bit silly and and you know unthinking. And I think that is what these people are charged with, really, not thinking. And that is a, a fair charge and an important charge. And I hold my hands up as well because I, I, you know, it didn't even cross my mind really that that Little Britain would. It would now. Now I would watch it and go, "Wow!" And so this is an element, you know, this is an this is an element of education, and I think it's fair that um, these people didn't quite like the way that Lee Francis or whatever he's called did it, but it's fair for him to say, "I'm sorry, that was really stupid," because I don't think any of these people are racists. Ju- it was just a stupid thing to do, and I think it's fair that they've said sorry and they've apologised. Um, and yeah, I mean, Gone with the Wind is slightly different, isn't it? Really, because it's. I, I don't think that we should, and like you say, Dad's Army and things like that. And I, I still think I still don't have a problem w- with laughing at racists. Uh, I know that Gone with the Wind isn't. <laughs> no, but, Gone but, with the Wind is, is, is unfortunately is, is much more you know it it's, is. It's much more problematic than, it is, it is, than what it, I've done. But that is a but that is a that is a product of its time. And again, it's almost a little bit more in the statue conversation really than, than yes, it is. But it, it, you know he's. You know, I mean, Dad's Army wasn't a racist series, was it? Or did I completely misread that as well? I've not watched that since no, I was a kid. It, no, it wasn't. But there were some know, racist uh, phrases in there, and some there were some racist phrases in there. Yeah, and yeah. you know, again, it's sort of you know, the, well, it wasn't. Oh, I think it was written by the, the same people, wasn't it? It ate half hot mum, which was yes. sort of. Um, that was earlier, but you know that featured white white people uh, black up, didn't yes, it, and, and it did, stuff yeah. like that. And I mean, uh, this you is you never a, see that nowadays. No, you wouldn't. It, 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 it's right. problem. It's quite, absolutely quite rightly. It, it's problem. It's problematic. This we haven't got the answers clearly, um, but I think we the, the, the very much the thing to do on this is to is to carry on talking about it, carry on discussing it, and yeah. um, and and make sure that we're moving forward. It's that continual improvement again, you know. Absolutely. Um, you, you know, can I just say as well, I mean, we've, we've, we've sort of, we've, you know, we've run out of time to, to talk about virtue signalling. And, um, um, but, you know, for me, there is, there is absolutely nothing, you know, little people like Little Mix, Firm Britain, Yorkshire Tea Chairman, these people from the St. Ives Co-op, all these people being ridiculed by right-wingers, uh, this week for, you know, taking a knee. For, for me, there is just no other, you know, there's, what is wrong with it, with an ex, any small expression of empathy with, 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 with somebody else? I think, um, and I've written, I've written about this, uh, you know, uh, in the print edition of the New European. It's also up on our website. Go and have a look. Uh, please buy the print edition, by the way, three pounds, uh, well spent. Um, but I just think that this phrase virtue signaling is like, um, you know, it's like it's become like chattering classes or champagne socialists yeah. or, um, or or political correctness. It has become a phrase that right wing people use to beat people of the centre and the left who dare to express uh, an opinion in some way. Um, I, think, I, and, I, and I, I mean, I agree. And if, if, if the worst thing that you're doing is signalling your virtue, I mean, there's, there's worse things to do. What I would say is, 
and um, we, I, I've seen this and, it, and I do find it fairly appalling, is when someone who's got something to sell, and that tends to be celebrities, it doesn't necessarily need to be a product, it might be a book or a CD or a tour or whatever, uh, I, I, it, they've got to get their tone right on this because if it is deemed to be, look at me, I'm, aren't I trendy, buy my new CD, that they shouldn't be doing it for that. So as long as they get it right, and I'm not saying anyone here yeah. has got it wrong, although, you know, I don't know, but it, it, if they think it could further their career or, for, or, 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 you know, further their bank balance, then perhaps I've got an issue with it. But that's not virtue signalling. That's a very different thing. And you know, That is very different. I think the, you know, the, this whole are... thing won't be solved by turning your profiles black or by using a certain hashtag. It won't be solved by that. But if it gets the word out there and gets someone young thinking about it and get and increases their education, then it's certainly not going to do any harm. Absolutely, you know. And if and you know these these things are these things should be universal to us all. But you know, if we are if we are talking about the the, the idea that it is wrong to express support for a cause or, or something in some way, in some insignificant way, um, if you're not directly involved in it, then why haven't we all been clapping for the NHS for the last 10 weeks? Oh, absolutely. And why absolutely. do we all why do we all wear poppies once a year? Absolutely I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely, it's a ludicrous argument. It is. Uh, anyway, more of that in the print edition of the New European. Okay. Let me ask you some questions about statues very quickly. Yeah, and I'll we'll tell you what, the, do, do, do the, run through the questions quicker and then I'll, I'll answer them uh, when, we, when we've had our, our little break. Yeah, okay. So question one, uh, whose statue... Uh, erected in Slovenia in 2019, uh, was carved with a chainsaw out of a linden tree and has been compared by local residents to the Smurfette. That's question one. Whose statue was carved with a chainsaw out of a linden tree and the resi- local residents think it looks like the Smurfette? Uh, that, that, that statue's in Slovenia. Question two. In 2002, whose statue in London's Guildhall was decapitated by a theatre producer wielding a Slazinger cricket bat. Question three, which politician's pet has got its own statue at the bottom of Highgate Hill in London? Question four, what was unusual about a statue of Barack Obama which was erected in Beijing in 2009? And question five, in a small New Zealand town of Wakefield, population 2000, in 2013... Residents were surprised when a large bronze statue of which American president suddenly appeared in the town centre. So we'll do the question, the answer to those in a second. Ooh, yeah? I'm guessing on some of those. Okay, we'll be right back. Brexiteer of the week. Welcome back, Steve. Let's get those quiz questions uh, and answers done, and then we'll get on to Brexiteer of the week. We will. So, question one uh, in 2019. Whose statue in Slovenia was compared to the Smurfette? Uh, it was uh, done by a local artist wielding a, che- a chainsaw and it's made out of a linden tree. It, it's brilliant. It's, and I remember this simply because it was only, only last year. It's, uh, it, it's the lovely Mrs. Trump, isn't it? It is. Melania Trump. It is. Looking uh, almost as wooden as she looks in real life. <laughs> yeah, she does, it's, it's, not, it's not a flattering thing, is it? No, it's really not. Um, 
In 2002, whose statue in London's Guildhall was decapitated by a theatre producer uh, wielding a Slazenger cricket bat? I'm presuming that was an accidental decapitation, was it? It was an intentional decapitation. It was intentional? Mm. Uh, I, I really have got no idea. Tell me. Uh, well, that was the statue of Margaret Thatcher, oh, of um, which had been commissioned. Uh, you don't have statues of you have busts of living people in uh, in Parliament, don't you? Um, yeah. Uh, in um, what's it called? In the uh, the Hall of Westminster. That's right, isn't it? Westminster Hall. Yeah. So you have bu- so you have busts of living prime ministers in there, but you you only have a statue in there after you've died. So somebody commissioned a statue of. Margaret Thatcher, it was destined for the Hall of Westminster where Ma- Margaret Thatcher eventually uh, did die. In the end, they, um, they, they, they went, well, we might as well put it up in, in Guildhall. Uh, in the time being, this theatre producer took against it about three months after it was, it, it, was, uh, it was unveiled, tried to knock her head off with a Slazenger cricket bat, ended up knocking it off with a security, metal security pole, uh, and he ended up doing three months in jail for Did he it. Really? Um, and it is now in in Westminster it's Hall. It's not. They it was so badly damaged that they had to they had to commission a different oh, statue. Oh, I see. It's a statue, brand new which one. Is the, which is the one? It's a totally ah. different statue, and, and no one knows where where the decapitated Thatcher has, has actually gone. Oh, it's a mystery. Um, it's not a great statue, so actually. The one it, she's doing, she's walking, and it's not great. It's not as good as the Wilson one, that's for sure. She's sort of pointing, isn't she? Yeah. She. I don't know what she's pointing at. There's a man with a um, bat, a man with a cricket bat coming. Maybe that's exactly. <laughs> that would be good. Uh, number three, which politician's pet has got its own statue at the bottom of Highgate Hill? Well, one of my favourite, one of my favourite statues in London is the statue of Hodge, the cat, which of I Hodge. think is in which, and that's Samuel Johnson's cat, and it's right next to the little museum where some where Doctor Johnson's house used to be. I think it's, I think, ah. it's, I think, I think it's Gough Square. It's sort of between. Um, it's behind Fleet Street, basically. So between um, between Chancery Lane and Fleet Street, in the back streets there, have a wander around there, and you'll find Hodge, great little cat that was Samuel Johnson's cat. Great statue that. Um, so I reckon this one, and this is a guess, and it's simply a little bit of local knowledge from knowing that area a little bit, because um, there's a statue. It is a cat, isn't it? There's a statue of a cat. This is a statue yeah. of a cat. So I, I think it must be Dick Whittington then, because there's a Dick Whittington statue round there, and I'm presuming that you've tried to trick us by saying politician, because he was um, London Mayor, wasn't he? Um, but perhaps well, he we, don't, we, think of I mean, him, he, we think of him more he, of just like a panto character. I mean, he basically was. He was He was a, a trader, wasn't he? And he was a... But he, he basically was a, a politician. He was the Lord Mayor. Yeah. He, was a, he was an MP. Yeah. He was the sheriff of London, so yeah. he actually Dick Whittington was a politician, and it is a Dick Whittington's so cat. Right. And, um, and of course, one day you might have um, a statue <laughs> of Dylan the dog because he was mayor of London, or you might have a statue of one of Ken Livingston's newts, which would be tremendous. <laughs> that would be uh, great. Well, we've got a, we've what? got an animal statue thanks to Ken. We've got the Animals yeah. of War statue on on Park <laughs> Lane with yeah. the donkeys and I like, stuff. It's I do great. like that. It's, lovely, it's that, very yeah. good. It's really statue. good. Yeah. 
what was unusual about the statue of Barack Obama, which was erected in Beijing in 2009? Right, well, I know this one. This is the one of the two I that I did I knew. not know this one. But I, I would, my memory of it was that it was a piece of art, really, rather than a statue. Is it a full-length statue? I thought it was a sort of waist-high piece of art, but that's just my memory of it. But anyway, I think I, I think it was I think it was a statue. It's it's it was in a, briefly in a museum, but I think it was in a. But it's I not think like it was in an art exhibition. It was it was basically to to welcome yeah. Barack Obama yeah. on a on a, a, a visit to Beijing, wasn't it? And it and it and, it, it was it. I, I I think I'm right in thinking that it. I don't know if it was always ablaze, but it certainly set on fire. It burst into so, flames so, every two minutes. Every two minutes, <laughs> which. Is, I'm not sure it's the, you know, it's not. The, I'm not sure it's the message that I would particularly want to send. Uh, it's not the friend, most friendly of welcomes, is it? For Barack I've, Obama? Had, I've, yes. I've had girlfriends with fiery tempers that burst into flames every two minutes, uh, but I, yeah, it's a str- it's a strange one. I seem to remember it being yeah. quite cool though. It's uh, it's it was yeah it was cool looking yeah, um, but uh, but very strange. And my favourite one is this. So this in 2013, this this small New Zealand town, population 2,000, and suddenly there is a, a large bronze statue of, of an American president. Which American president? I honestly, I'll, I'll guess um, Reagan. It is. There's a lot of statues of Reagan. There is. There's the loads world, in. There's there? loads in Eastern Europe, isn't there? Because there are lots in Eastern in... Europe. There's, 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 I mean, there's, there's, East, there's one in East Berlin, yeah. but there's, there's Hungary as well. There's yeah. Gdansk, uh, I know. Um, but it's actually a statue of Richard Nixon with his, uh, <laughs> the disgraced President Richard Nixon with his arms outstretched Is doing, he giving the, the doing o- his famous... Okay thing. Uh, and he's doing the, 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 the victory sign, the double victory sign. <laughs> like when he got into the... Like the moment he gets into the helicopter... Exactly. Every, everyone doing, else is thinking, oh, my God... And he's there. Yeah. It's that moment. Wow. Why? And the sculptor is thinking this is great for a statue. And the bloke who put it up, he put this. He put the statue up. Then he built an office behind it, um, which was he was a publisher. He built an office behind it, which um, which was like a mini White House, uh, which had a lot, which full of lots of portraits of Richard Nixon. And he said. Uh, he said Richard Nixon was a uh, a uh, complicated chap who was crucified by the media. Um, well, he's is, just a big Richard Nixon fan. I mean, um, Richard Nixon was it, a better president uh, after he left the White House than he was while he was in the White House. There is no question of that. Um, but he wow. was a better statue than he was a president, that very is, much so. That is a great um, one. I'd certainly be looking at that. That's fantastic. He is he is gone, but the uh, the, the guy is gone and his, his firm have moved on, but the... Um, but the statue of Richard Nixon is, is still there. Um, <laughs> the statue and, uh, remains, and the statue remains. And I, I did see, I, I did see a sort of a, a quote from the the, the, the local uh, landlord, the local publican, I guess, who said, um, you know, he said visitors just walk. You see stunned visitors <laughs> coming in here who've never been here, and they go. I'm not going to do the Australian accent, but the New Zealand accent. But they just go, 
why the hell is there a statue of Richard Nixon across the That's street? That's hilarious. Um, and you know it what? Is, it's very funny. What, you know what you've just done, don't you? In a, in a podcast where we've been talking about very serious things and very, um, you know, very uh, right now stuff that a lot of people are angry about, you've just caused a lot of trouble by saying Australian accent rather than New Zealand accent. I know, accent. I'm sorry You're about that. You're in big oh trouble. You're in big trouble, pal. <laughs> I know. Shall we do the Brexiteers of the week while Some I cringe the... away? Yes, go for it. Uh, okay, uh, there are several of them. Uh, Theresa Villiers? Yeah. Remember Theresa Villiers? She was the Environment Secretary in January. <laughs> and she told... Was she really? Cont- <laughs> that seems like years was. ago. She told Countryfile then, we will not be importing coronated chicken, we will not be importing hormone-treated beef, there are legal barriers against them, and they will stay in place. Uh, and this week, I mean, Theresa Williams then, weeks later, reshuffled in early February, wasn't she? Lost her job. And then this week, uh, she was uh, given a, a column in the Daily Mail because you know, we heard the news that... Um, chlorinated chicken and hormone-injected beef are going to be allowed into the country after all with um, with tariffs. And Theresa Villiers was given a column to rail against this in the Daily Mail, and she wrote uh, reports uh, that Boris Johnson will be allowing in chlorinated chicken and other American foodstuffs subject to steep tariffs are very much welcome. So I would imagine from that, that Theresa Villiers will either be receiving a promotion soon or Salmonella soon. Um, Digby Jones, the former CBI chairman, he yeah. was. Do you remember when Digby Jones was in Gordon Brown's government of all the talents? He That's was actually right. a, a trade minister, wasn't he, mm-hmm. for a bit? Mm-hmm. Mad there. Brexiteer. Uh, uh, well, I'm not saying he's mad, but he's mad about he's Brexit. Mad for it. Um, he's mad. For, he's mad for it. Mad for Brexit. Um, mad for it. Mad for he, Brexit. He's the only man in, in Britain who thinks it's a good idea to spend 100 million quid on a new royal yacht. Um, <laughs> he said yes. his new idea is, he said, let's, let's resuscitate the idea of the new royal yacht. It'll only cost 100 million quid. People said, how are we going to afford it? He said, well, the government can chip in and then large and small businesses can chip in as well because large and small businesses in the government have all got yeah. money to burn right now. Just overflowing um, with money. I exactly, can see river, yeah, yeah. rivers of £50 notes What are we going to do with all this street? money? Um, and then he was he was asked to appear on radio and, and then people said, well, why on earth is, why now? Why this? Why now? And it's, the, the way he articulated his argument really persuaded me. He said, <laughs> because we have a damn good chance in this country and a royal yacht at this moment would be one of those good quality messages. Yeah. Well, that's conclusive, isn't it? Um, I would accept a hundred million pounds spent on a royal yacht if the first voyage of the royal yacht was to drop Prince Andrew off uh, at the uh, at the FBI's front door. That would be, I think that would be worth it. Otherwise, there'd be no chance. Uh, <laughs> Jacob Rees-Mogg, Oh, yes. is a Brexiteer of the week. Um, every week in the Sunday Express, he has a little section of Sunday Express. It's called Jacob's Weekly Wisdom. Yeah. And what he does <laughs> from his superior intellect is he picks a famous quote from history. Uh, and they're usually from people like Canning and Lord North and all these kind of people. And um, he picks a quote from history and he tells you why it means that the Conservative government of 2020 is absolutely brilliant. And this week, he his uh, effort, and I, this is all 
written uh, in Jacob Rees-Mogg's uh, voice. He said, uh, "He said this week's quote is, England is a nation of shopkeepers, said by Napoleon Bonaparte. I would not normally pick a quotation from Bonaparte, but in this instance, he understood our nation's entrepreneurial spirit. Um, unfortunately for Jacob Rees-Mogg, there's no evidence, credible evidence, that Napoleon ever said it. Basically, a sur- English surgeon uh, said he overheard him saying it, but this bloke is, is widely regarded as a very unreliable source. Um, somebody who did say it is a, uh, a French revolutionary um, who did, he did say it, uh, he said it in the French Assembly, which was sort of their government during the reign of terror, wasn't it, their parliament during the, the reign of terror, but he said it deriding in the English for their lack of ambition, which, and you would have thought that Jacob Rees-Mogg the brilliant historical scholar um, would would know all that, so uh, but he doesn't um, <laughs> because uh, because he's Jacob Rees-Mogg. But go. the Brexiteer of the week yeah. is Peter Shilton. And do you know what? It's not it's the Pete. first time Shilts has been Brexiteer. It's not of the, the week. first time Shilts. He has tweeted all you people who are not happy with a government dramatically voted by the people with an eighty seat majority and not happy with our great country. Please go and live somewhere run by dictators and see where your actions like pulling down statues get to you. Mm. And then he said, you wouldn't get the right to oppose or protect in some <laughs> countries. And I go, I thought that those countries were the ones that he was telling us that he was, you know, we wow, should go confusing. to because he was so sick of us protesting. I feel as confused as and Steve th- Hodge. And then he said, exactly. And then he said, two of my heroes, are Tiger Woods and Muhammad Ali, worked that one out. Well, I have worked it out. For one thing, you're just naming black people that you like. And, uh, and for another thing, you spell Muhammad Ali's naming completely wrong. Brilliant. So, Peter Shilton, you know, I mean, he was a great goalkeeper, he was, wasn't he? he was. Let's be honest. He wasn't great in the penalty shootout in Italy United, which has ruined my life and the life of all of my friends yeah, of yeah, a yeah. similar vintage. Yeah. But he is the Brexiteer of the week. I remember as a child, it must have been a cup game, and um, Shilton was playing at uh, Leeds Road, Huddersfield Town's old ground, and everyone was singing... Does your missus know you're here? Because there'd been uh, some stories in the tabloid newspapers yeah, right. at the time. And I, I was very confused as a young child about this. I was thinking, well, surely she does, because, you know, it's his job. I couldn't understand what the issue was. I was thinking, is his wife in the stand and she's gone off for a bovril or something? She's not paying attention. I, it confused me for a long time um, until I figured out... Um, Many years later, what the uh, what the accusation was. Anyway, well, it, well, it's true that it's true. It is true that not all footballers' wives know, you know, where their husband is because there, there was a, a great interview with Peter Crouch recently, wasn't there, where he said that that um, his I think she's his wife, isn't she? Abby Abby Clancy, Abby so, Crouch. Yeah, yeah um, Clancy, he yeah. said that that his when, during a team talk. Um, his phone would often go at sort of two forty-five, and it'd be on a Saturday afternoon, and it'd be his wife saying, "Where are you? Have you gone to the shops?" <laughs> no, I'm a professional footballer about to play a game. But to be fair, he was—he, you know, he was never in one place very long. She probably just meant no, which part no. of the country are you in? Have you gone to the shop? <laughs> Marvelous. Anyway, if you like this podcast, you should leave us a fantastic review uh, and many stars on the podcatcher of your choice. You should definitely, definitely follow us, uh, the New European on Facebook, and join our Facebook readers group. Uh, and you should follow the New European on Twitter. 
at the New European, which will follow me on Twitter at Fanglesey, F A N G L E S E Y. What I would just say is, thanks for sticking with us. We know there are some, you know, we 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 sorted out our sound issues, didn't we? And we made it perfect. And now, of course, Steve has to phone in because we can't be too close together, which is nice for both of us, frankly. But um, we do, yeah. we really do appreciate you sticking with us through this times we've tried to stick with you and i it has been i have been told that that sometimes text messages come through and it bleeps sorry about that as well i can't for the life of me figure out i think it was steve's today actually but then when i looked no it was mine and i got a text message from domino's pizza so that is that is the kind of life i'm living (laughs) that's that's the only text message i get and they've managed to send it during the recording of a podcast thank you so much for listening guys you can follow me on twitter as well it's uh at porrit P-O-R-R-I-T-T. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. That was the New European Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do go out and buy a copy of the printed product. It's £3, another stonking front page. Lots of Brexit, lots of politics, but also... Lots of arts and culture as well. It's the only paper you need, and it's in all good news agents. We'll be back next week. Until then, Mr Campbell, play your bagpipes. Here you go. I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.